0: In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. Feminism has been a stubborn stain on the fabric of our society and our culture for decades. Now, by the grace of God, feminism appears to be dying a very quick and painful death, but not at the hands of faithful ministers in the Church of Jesus Christ. But rather, feminism is being killed by a radical leftist ideology known as transgenderism. Ironically and tragically, feminism still thrives, however, but only in one location the Evangelical Church. Tune in as Rosaria Butterfield joins the show to discuss the problem of feminism in the Christian Church today on this episode of Theology Applied.
1: Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied.
0: This episode, I'm very privileged to welcome to the show for the first time, Rosaria Butterfield. Thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, thank you, Pastor Joel. I'm glad to be here.
0: All right, so let's go ahead and start with this. Most people are probably familiar with you, uh, and so I want to get into the meat of the content. But briefly, could you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are?
1: Sure, absolutely. I'm a pastor's wife. My husband is Kent Butterfield. He's the pastor of the First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham. We are Reformed Presbyterians. Um, I am a mother, and I'm a grandmother. And I um, am I think this is maybe my 22nd year of homeschooling. Um, and I haven't always been all of those things. So I um, was brought to the Lord by a reformed Presbyterian pastor in Syracuse, New York, where I was a tenured professor of uh, English literature. My field is 19th century, along with women's studies and queer theory. And so, my conversion um, came with um, a lot of mess um, because sin makes a lot of mess for people and um, i have written about my conversion to christ in a number of books and i have tried to faithfully live that out and i sometimes have and i sometimes haven't i think i'm probably most known for my repentance which is fine with me i do think it's funny that Uh, public figures who are Christians who repent of their sins, I find it strange that that's met with shock and awe, but we can talk about what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. But at any rate, that's who I am. I'm an older woman. I'm 61 years old. And so um, the most recent book I've written is written to other women. And it's, uh, it's a firm conversation that could be typified by let's get a grip.
0: Okay, great. Well, so let's go right into it then. What What is the name? And if you could, I know you've got a copy. Could you hold up your latest book and tell us sure. a little bit about it?
1: I do have it right here. It's uh, called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, and it's published by Crossway, and it came out in September.
0: Great. What What are the five lies? Can you list them for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I can maybe list the three reasons before we get to the five lies, if that's okay. So, um, I mean, you know, like every book has a story and the story behind this book is a a number of moms and grandmas who are writing to my website or stopping me at Costco or stopping me at church, really um, confused about where the evangelical church is in 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 guiding us in this difficult time. Our post abergefell world has put some real pressures on the church and the church seemed to be running the same play and it was not working. And so many of these people were writing with grief and sadness because their children who had once professed faith were now prodigals. And yet their church was saying things like, be a soft presence, you know, why don't you check out this Preston Sprinkle video? Maybe we (laughs) should humanize transgenderism. And they were, you know, like that that's the opposite of what I think we should do. And and so really the question which was posed to me is um, why we can't major on the majors if we don't even know what the majors are anymore. What in the world happened? Mm. And so I just sat down and came up with three reasons that have produced five lies. And so the three reasons – Uh, That we can't major on the majors is because we have failed to recognize that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. Um, Nature uh, matters. Uh, No Adam, no Christ. Right. The second reason is that we don't seem to know what time it is. We we don't. We either reject uh, Aaron Wren's heuristic about being a negative world, or we somehow don't think that the pressure of a file and Boztock has, or even the anti-bullying legislation, which is just a pro-trans, you know, ideology in your government schools, that somehow that doesn't matter. And and that works on this very strange notion that, you know, because God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you and I don't need to know what time it is or what the weather's like. We just, um, and then the third reason is the one that's probably most painful uh, for me, because I was the beneficiary of this particular kind of Christian love. And that's that I had neighbors who knew how to uh, love their enemies, not pretend their enemies were their friends. Mm-hmm. And so those three uh, just real failures of the, of the evangelical church have taken these five lies that have been in the world for quite some time now, some longer than others, and they are now pretty central in most broad evangelical churches and in every parachurch ministry I can find. Um, the first lie is the lie that homosexuality is a normal sexual variant. Mm. The, the second lie is that um, p- uh, pagan spirituality is kind and inclusive, where biblical Christianity can be harsh and um, demanding. The third lie is that feminism is good for the church and the world. The fourth lie is that transgenderism is a normal gender variant for some people. And you'll notice there that all of these lies, um, including the pagan lie, are dependent on a, a false distinction that feminism has put forward, and that is to distinguish uh, sex, biological sex, from gender.
2: Right.
1: And then the fifth lie is that modesty is bad for women because it encourages patriarchy and embedded in that lie is the idea that patriarchy is bad. Right. So those are the five lies. And, you know, I believed all of those lies mm-hmm. and I believed, I certainly, I believed and I advocated for those lies. When I was a lesbian activist professor, I was not just the lesbian next door I testified before the New York legislature. I wrote books and policy. I I have created – my fingerprints are still all over the sin that I see in this world. Mm -hmm. So part of the tone of this book, part of the urgency of this book is um, I, I am saved. Praise be to God. I know that. I'm confident in that. But I'm also a grandmother, and I believe if you made a mess, you need to clean it up.
2: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> I'm trying to do a little cleanup here. And, and by cleanup, what I mean is um, not make myself look good, but just let the church try to give a good logic lesson. Let the church see that some of many of the slogans that are passing around for gospel kindness are really of the devil.
0: Right, right. Uh, I'm with you on the clean up the mess. It's, you know, in the little book that I wrote, I I had the same kind of thing saying there's, there's a fine line between penance, which is gospel-less, but versus, you know, the the scripture talks about doing good works in keeping with repentance. And, you know, so it's, it's faith, you know, by grace through faith in Christ alone. um, But uh, faith is never alone. Uh, It's always going to be accompanied by good works. And when it's, you know, the same, you know, the way in is the way on, you know, the faith that, uh, and re- repentance, you know, the, Luther, you know, talks about how the, the whole Christian life should be marked by a life of ongoing faith and repentance. And so, yeah, when we make a mess, uh, we clean it up, not as a form of gospel as penance, um, but but we do it. Uh, that's that's some of the fruit of repentance that when you can tell when someone is truly repentant and uh, not just worldly sorrow, but has it possesses by the grace of God a, a godly sorrow, godly regret over the sin which they've committed. Uh, they want to make it right. That's what restitution is. That's you know to make the 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 person that we've offended, the person that we've hurt, to make them whole um, as best we can uh, in this life. And some things can't be made whole. I like uh, I, I like um, Rush uh, He he said. Um, uh, when it comes to, you know, capital punishment in the case of uh, murder, uh, because you can't make the person whole, um, you know, you've taken a life um, and it's, it's such a, a grievous crime uh, that uh, the reason why it bears capital punishment is because um, it's something that uh, the person has done something so egregious that they have to be immediately transferred to a higher court. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the way that he words it so you know there are cases where we can't make it whole but uh, as best we can by the grace of god we seek to not to earn his favor not to um somehow erase our past failures but um because it's the fruit of truly being repentant so um yeah so all that being said let's let's talk a little bit about feminism i feel like that's i i'd love to hear your thoughts on that i feel like there's a lot of feminism in the church today mm-hmm. um i you know i i feel like it's kind of something that it's like two fish, you know, passing by as they're swimming, you know, through the ocean. And one says, the water sure is nice today. And the other says, what's water? Um, what, <laughs> uh, can, can you talk a little bit about uh, ways, maybe maybe signs of feminism that you see in the church today? And especially, you know, like I, Andy Stanley, like you already said, you know, you can pick on him all day long. But I... I I'm thinking maybe a little closer to home. You know, most of our listeners are, you know, reformed Christians and they'd be going to, they wouldn't be going to Andy Stanley's church. They would be going to an OPC church, BCA church, reformed Baptist church, most of them, you know, reformed and, and confessionally reformed. And yet I see feminism there.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also hear, um, and, and even some of the you know, some of the feedback I get on the book is, "Well, can't you say that feminism is sometimes good? Like, yeah. like, hey, that first wave that was looking pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, do you? so. So it, it, it's interesting to to me the way that we're tempted to look at maybe some of the symptoms of a movement that we like, and therefore apply a kind of welcome to the whole movement, and right. that's just that's a disaster, but." Yeah. Um, you know, we can talk about the feminism chapter historically, and I am a nineteenth-century scholar, so I, I do love to go there. Uh, Mary Wollstonecraft is the founder, and the particular uh, ways that the you know the French Revolution and other things were bearing on this conversation. That would be a long conversation. I do kind of dig into that a little bit in the book, but I think what I'd like to do to answer your question, uh, for to help people maybe see it in the church, um, is. To think about the way that feminism introduced this idea that biological sex and cultural gender are really different. They're just different things. They're different categories. And in philosophy, a category is important because it's got boundaries. It's almost like its own cell. Biological sex is, um, you know, the creation ordinance. Women are born with the creational power capacity to be nurturers who bear children. But Should that interfere with our sense of gifting or calling, Mm -hmm. why then we have, we appeal to cultural gender and basically cultural gender was a category basically for, for feminism to go to war with, um, progeny and patriarchy, babies and men. And I think that we just see this everywhere. And I think part of why we see this everywhere is, um, this, refusal to see that 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 the uh, just in the same way that the um the bible is a unified biblical revelation um god is is not going to create god does not create us with a with competition in our calling mm.
2: um
1: and so you know i certainly railed against this i mean at a certain point i was a single woman who thought she was a lesbian reading the bible trying to make sense of genesis 127 and and here's what i knew i didn't see my actual self in it yet but there was a little part of me that was downright thrilled could god be so loving that even i might be able to step into this creational capacity i mean that was a crazy idea but Um, The idea of the integration of the creation ordinance with your gospel life is key there. Now, what's interesting to to me is that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but feminism is dead, D-E-A-D, in the world. Um, Transgenderism killed it. Right. The only place I see feminism alive is the evangelical church. Yep. I mean, maybe it's alive somewhere else, and now somebody after seeing this podcast is going to write in and say, Oh, Rosaria, really, it's alive here under this rock. But it's not. It, it, and, it, and, and how did transgenderism kill feminism? By taking its very central catechism, there is a difference between sex and gender, and simply taking it to its logical extension. Mm-hmm. What transgenderism is, gender without sex. So feminism created the, the capacity for its own death is what I'm saying. Right Now, the way you see it in the church, usually from the, at least in my experience as a pastor's wife, is you will see it in a fairly passive aggressive way. So in my church, we don't have, you know, nope, you're not going to have women, you know, reading from the pulpit or something like right. that. But, but, um, you definitely can have women who are, um, are discontent, right? I mean, you can have men who are discontent too, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about, and and discontentment is a sin, and it's usually a sin that's motivated by envy, by a sense of, but I should have, but I could have, but my giftings are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it it needs to be dealt with, um, you know, lovingly, gently, and as long as it is a private sin, privately. In a in a either a Titus two context or um, when the elders are meeting with families, um, but it it you know envy is rottenness to the bone. So when we let it run, it's really serious. And I I meet a lot of women who will say things like, "Oh, I I wish I could come to your church, but I'm called." To ministry, and so I, I have this calling, and I need a church who's going to give me a platform right. to do that calling. And you know, that's not that's not why we do church. Right. That's not why any of us do church. Mm-hmm. We do church to worship God, and what we bring to it are filthy rags to some degree or another. Um,
0: it real quick so, on that point. It, it yeah. One, one thing that I've noticed. And maybe I'm being uncharitable, but it it does seem like when it comes to women's ministries um, that very often, I won't say always, but very often, um, it seems that it's not about the women being ministered to, but it's it's a way, especially in reformed, more conservative churches, it's a way of creating a women's only context so that one woman can LARP as a pastor while still holding her complementarian card.
1: If that's possible. The way that I love the way that our associate pastor Drew Poplin puts it. He said, "It's the only place in the church where there's no authority." Mm. And so, if you think about, like, there's no authority, so there are all kinds of things that can happen. So maybe somebody can lark as a pastor. Uh, definitely, what I've seen are just opportunities for, um, um, you know, a kind of heavy, heavy display of emotion that and again with no authority there's nothing that kind of reins it in right. um so
0: yeah finally a coffee company that doesn't hate you and your beliefs today's sponsor squirrely joe's coffee is a thoroughly christian company that ships seriously good coffee straight to your front door owned and operated by joe morris and his family out of olney illinois They believe that Christians should be building a thoroughly Christian economy by doing business with other like-minded Christians. Just go to squirrelyjoes.com and use promo code RRM for 20% off your purchase. Squirrely Joe's Coffee. Share coffee. Serve humbly. Live faithfully. Did you know that fresh American black elderberries are naturally high in vitamin C, vitamin B6, phosphorus, and vitamin A, as well as many anthocyanins that serve as antioxidants? Regular supplementation with elderberry extracts has been shown to decrease chance of influenza and lessen cold duration and symptoms. The King's Ridge fresh frozen elderberries are hand-picked, de-stemmed, washed, and quickly frozen at their family farm in East Central Indiana. The Kings Ridge is a quality oriented family farm focused on building Christendom. Our friends Trevor and Autumn truly hope that their elderberry syrup and fresh frozen elderberries bless your family this cold and flu season. Don't buy dried European elderberries and support the global economic agenda. Instead, visit TKRFARM.com and purchase your elderberry needs from the Kings Ridge Elderberries. Again, that's com. You know, so this is, I'm planting right now. We're two and a half years in. We're in Texas. And I, I, I led a church in California and moved out there young, zealous, and immature and was not qualified to plant a church. God was merciful. The church is still there. It's healthy. It's doing well. They've started a classical school. And things are great, but I but I bit off more than I could chew. And um, as my wife and I started having children, and then twenty twenty happened, we realized okay, you know, uh, and her family and my family were both in Texas, and and so, you know, the <laughs> I finally was starting to wake up to maybe you know the the urban church planting. Like praise God if He sends some people and they're actually called missionary is a legitimate biblical category, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a while, that's like, you know, you really weren't valuable at all unless you were a church planter and unless you were going to do urban, you know, ministry church planting in a very, you know, dark blue, uh, county city state. And, um, and I, and I really think in some ways, like we, um, I think in some ways it was a suicidal mission. We, we, we spread ourselves too thin and a lot of these churches, um, uh, the cities that they went into discipled the church more than the church discipled the city. And so. Exactly. And so anyway, so I, I was retracting from that, repenting from that, doing good works and keeping with repentance, making changes. And so with the church that I'm pastoring now, one of the things, you know, and I'm not having a, a, an extra biblical hard and fast world, but, but we're two and a half years in. And so far, this is what we've done is I was like, let's just do um, all our energy, all our time, all our focus on a full Lord's day. Um, and mm-hmm. so. Yep. And that's what we do. And we just, we don't have any ministries, you know, and the churches and yeah. it's quickly went from, you know, 20 to 200 people. And so it's, it's not just, I can't, I, at first I could use that excuse, you know, for the first year or so, like, well, we're a church plant. What do you expect? You know, but now it's like, well, no, it, it really is by design. And, you know, and, and I'm, again, I'm open to these things. And the elders, we will discuss these things perhaps in the future, if there's a ministry that really serves the body um, that really is in line with the scripture, but, but for the foreseeable future, we're in no rush to have any, uh, midweek ministries. It's just okay. the Lord's day. We gather and, you know, we gather together and we have people, it's kind of, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, we don't have wagons and horses, you know, but we have people because the church is so discredited itself and so many churches closed for a year with COVID and you did this and did that. Um, that, uh, you know, a lot of people are driving a great distance, you know, yeah. and so, to, to get to a church. So, I mean, we, we still have cars, but a lot of people, it's like, we have people coming two and a half hours, you know, to our church. Right. And, right. um and, and so with that, it's like, you, you don't, you can't go to a small group on Tuesday night, you know? So right. that's a, I mean, these people, you know, they, with one family in particular, wonderful family and their, and their goal is, you know, they became members because uh, they, they were the children to baptize and things like that. And we wanted, you know, to be members in the church. Even if, you know, Lord willing, the, a church sprouts up that, that's closer to you, then we would, you know, uh, go ahead and release you and transfer your membership over, and that would be wonderful. But in the meantime, we, you know, if we're going to baptize, we'd like you to actually be members in the church. And um, and so they're two and a half hours, and they're coming twice a month, you know, and and then other mm-hmm. families are driving an hour and a half, and they're coming every week. But with that, mm-hmm. we're like, why don't we just? Why don't we just stay all day you know and, and you you right. know and we're look we're wanting you know as i think about ministries it's all still in the lord's day frame i'm like all right so we have sunday morning sunday evening we've got a potluck every every sunday evening so you know and i'm thinking all right so and then let's get that afternoon prayer meeting and then that sunday what? school you know and then the, and you know in the in the olden days you know the good old days that's you you were farming that life was hard you were you know it took you hours to get to church you lived a, a couple miles from you know a mile from your closest neighbors your kids their best friends were their brothers and sisters and you're working as a family household industry was attached to the household and but once a week the market day for the soul you rode into town you know the delectable hills got a view of the celestial city and it was a one day event and that's it there was no midweek things and so again not a hard fast rule against all midweek things but that's what we're doing and it's been right. such a a breath of fresh air our people love it and and then outside of that all week long you know we're focusing on um this world we're, we're focusing right. on building households and businesses and schools and we have men running for local office and being That's involved right. in yep. you know all of christ for all of life kind of thing so
1: right right i, I think that um programs and slogans have been the death of the church and um we're Sabbatarians, so we have a, even a membership vow about keeping the Lord's Day holy, and that can be extremely hard to do. If you know people are like checking their watch, you know, with, right. as they're hearing the benediction and they're out the door, um, it's extremely hard to do for our singles who desire to be biblically married. It's, um, and so we do the same thing. We spend we spend the day together um, uh, at worship in prayer. And psalm singing at uh, at a fellowship meal at the church, at a fellowship meal at our house. I mean, it's just it's a it's a full full day, and we've been able to just open our arms wide and and draw other people into that, uh, and so that's been a good thing. We also do have now. We're not a church plant anymore. And um, we do have a midweek um, prayer meeting. You know, the Wednesday night prayer meeting, and yeah. it's just the old. Well, it's interesting who goes to it. It's it's like the the you know the 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 young people, the old people, and then it's interesting people who go to a local mega church that are tired of the slogans and the programs, mm-hmm. and so. Pretty soon, uh, my friend, my friend and co-author Andrew Branch said, "Pretty soon, it's like we're going to be a small group of the so-and-so church." You know? Right, right. <laughs> um, so that's been a that's been a sweet time too. But but no, I think that's exactly right, and it's a wonderful way to honor the Lord today and keep that commandment.
0: Yes, yeah, and with the midweek ministries and then making them so particular for women and for men, uh-huh. it, it's um, it's 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 weird that like. That I've actually had to inform people in in doing this, you know, carefully. But but in my preaching, I've had to inform the church. Um, the elders are not uh, are not the pastors of the men only; they are the pastors of the church. Um, so. Right. So, and and I think that's another thing that happens is, so one, you create only women, women only context so that a, a particular woman can function in some kind of leadership role that's really questionable in biblical terms, but still proudly being a complement uh, complementary card holding individual. But then I, I also think that, um, what happens is that even if you don't do it in word, um, you, you never label it this way in function, she, in you know, a pseudo capacity, she becomes, um, it's like, well, th- this is my pastor. So and so, you know, the, so the, the the pastors who preach on the Lord's Day, they, well, those are the men's pastors. Uh, right. But we have our own set of right. of pastors, um, and right. and that is, I think, you know, massively pro- problematic.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I would say I think women do need, especially in such a gynocentric world where you know. I, I speak before, you know, school boards on the subject of transgenderism and parental rights, which is a, you know, that's a story unto itself. But, you know, everybody there is a woman, right? All the people in charge are women. So mm. we live in a world where most of us are used to seeing, you know, the women are ahead of the school boards and the women are here. And the, and so I do think, I think that as Christians, we need to um, learn how to submit To our pastor and our elders and learn to to submit and trust to godly men and I think this this kind of wholesale rejection of biblical patriarchy um, I'm not super comfortable with the term complementarianism because I just I just think it
0: I keep person. saying complementarian card. I'm I, okay. Okay, I sorry. Yeah, yeah and I, I
1: wasn't rebuking. I it yeah,
0: to patriarchy, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. I, I just don't like it because it's not a biblical word, right. and it it just it's a little too plastic for me. But I think that I think that part of the the rejection of biblical patriarchy is. Uh, it i think it it uh, some of it is unfamiliarity and sometimes you really do just have to take a, a young woman aside or an older woman aside a single woman aside and say it's really going to be okay but you're just going to have to you're going to have to submit to this you're going to have to get a grip this is really the biblical model mm-hmm. and you're not going to die and you're really going to learn something and it's going to be really good because we want the godly men in charge of the teaching because we need the godly men to kick those wolves to the curb. Amen. And and if they don't do that, then those those wolves are going to be uh, infiltrating the weakest of us, and it it's not it's going to be it's going to be really ugly. And I mean, this is you know, one wants to be careful about saying this, but I, I in the years that I've been a pastor's wife, it does seem to me that Satan's widest angle on a church body can sometimes be the most unhinged woman and that. So I do think that it is very important that the pastors and the elders, you know, we, we don't want that
0: in that vein. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. (laughs) I'm curious what you'll say about this. So, so I would prescribe to biblical patriarchy and people say, well, what's the difference? You know, complementarianism, biblical patriarchy, why, why use patriarchy? It's, you know, it's a pejorative or it's become that, you know, and it's got all these negative and, you know, and I'm like, well, for one, I a word that was coined in 1988, you know, that's, you know, 20 minutes old is, is you know, that's not really that my preference. I'd like something that's, you know, really old and um, and rooted okay. in history and scripture. Uh, but two, you know, when when you get down to the, the, you know, but what's the rub? What are the actual differences, the distinctions? and one that i would say is from 1st timothy uh, chapter 2 verses 9 through 15 that uh when paul gives his reasoning for uh male headship uh, he does not only cite the order of creation but he also cites the order of the fall mm-hmm. uh, and he cites that you know the the woman was deceived and became mm-hmm. uh, a transgressor and mm-hmm. and so when you read dead guys, you know, the guys who lived before uh, 1960 and the post-war sentiment and those kind of, you know, you read 1900 years of guys. Um, I mean, it was incredibly common that um, nobody was blushing or batting an eye, they would just say, yeah, well, one of the reasons that a woman shouldn't lead is not just because um, men have greater physical strength and that they can bench press and women have hips and they're able to birth babies, but also, and, and this is hard for our world to do these days, especially on social media, but I'm, I'm going to speak in categories, general, generalities, so we can find one woman who can outbench one man. Likewise, what I'm about to say, we can find some women who, who could, could beat some men in this. But in general, do you think that women are more susceptible to deception than men?
1: You know, absolutely. And I think you really see it played out right now in transgenderism. Why is rapid onset gender dysphoria primarily a woman's problem? And and so you can talk about it in terms of, you know, what is deception? Deception is um, a greater willingness to empathize with a point of view that isn't yours. It's a Mm -hmm. greater willingness to um, to to receive and to welcome and to so there you know there can be all kinds of very useful qualities to being that person, but not if you're in the company of wolves. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think so that's so in, in the company of wolves, that is very dangerous to you. And to everybody around you, and I don't know any person who gets up in the morning and says, you know, I'm really hoping that I'm going to tear my house down today. I'm, you know, on my list of things to do is let me destroy my house with my own hands or destroy my church. But, um, you know, easily your your capacity for empathy can be turned and torqued in very dangerous ways. And we're seeing that in rapid onset gender dysphoria. So anybody who would reject that, I would want them, I, I I need then you to explain to me why this, you know, ROGD is primarily women. Hmm. Like what, you know, what's going on there?
0: Right. right. That's really good to use a, a, a current example and statistics that they would actually have to be able to refute. And then, you know, even using biblical examples, it's, you have the principle there in First Timothy 2, but then in terms of case studies, um, like, they creep into households and lead astray weak-willed women. Um, that why are the false teachers always male in the New Testament, and why why do they go after always the women? And that you know, and again, of course, there are some exceptions, but speaking in general rules, um, it does right. seem as though the general strategy is uh, false teachers, a guy, and he's going to try to deceive a girl.
1: Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And about that other point you're making, um, you know, this the how did transgenderism become normalized? Like why in the world would even somebody as as just dysfunctionally minded in his ability to handle a theological concept like Preston Sprinkle, even someone right. like that, why would he recently do a program on humanizing the transgender experience? Like what what is going on there? Well, it is a, not just a propensity, but now a, um, a virtue to make the anomaly the norm. Right. And so that's the other thing that the church has to be aware of. Uh, Christians don't throw people away. Mm-hmm. We do not throw people away. We are not the people at school board meetings holding up pictures of mangled bodies saying this is an example of, not, of what not to do. We are the people who are proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ that says God cannot be mocked the creative order is indeed uh, ontological. Um, and the very good news of that is that even if you have tried to mock that created order and you have gone through the whole you know battering of surgeries, if you are a Christian and you are in Christ and you have repented and you believe, When your body is resurrected in the last day, you will be the man you were meant to be. Right. That is what Christians say at school board meetings. Mm. Um, So uh, we're not throwing people away, but if you start to create a situation where you can't hold the center because every anomaly renorms the norm. Right. That's where I just say, please go go sell insurance. Get out of the game. Just just you know, I I'm sure we'd have a nice time at the bowling alley. But don't don't teach because this is this is really crazy. And I think when you have any kind of uh, a New Testament ethic or a Christian ethic that that does you know unhinge the old from the new. What you're going to end up is a very theme-based Christianity, a Christianity mm. based in slogans and nouns, right. but no resurrection power, mm. and and just and really no ability to speak truthfully into the into the reality of what it means to be a person who knows your indwelling sin, trying to fight it in the context of a world that has made it its reigning idol you know and so we we just have to be able to say to people lovingly kindly you know and 500 times if needed homosexuality is a deed of the flesh it is a sin of the flesh it's found in the flesh it is forbidden by the law and it is overcome in the savior Mm-hmm. And 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 that's true. Whether you want to call homosexuality SSA or you want to call it sexual orientation, I, you know there are a lot of neologisms that we're going to pour into this. But how do we liberate the captives without giving them that truth? But if you're right. somebody who who has to renorm the norm, you just can't say those things.
0: Right? Yeah. Everything these days comes down to the lowest common denominator. That's how our society, you know, continues to function. And and it's all in the name of empathy. And there's always a few guys at the top who know what they're doing. It's a weaponized empathy. But for most of the, the public, whether it be in the church or whether it be in our body politic or, you know, just our, our populace, most of the public, I think, you know, against their better judgment is trying to be kind. They're trying yeah. to, you know, it, yeah, trying it, to be kind.
1: Can, can I just jump in here? Because it, it just, I... I um. It's really funny when this happens at a school board meeting and the whole school board and they, they'll they use this expression in Durham, which is blue, blue, blue. Um, they'll use this expression, you know, just hold space. Don't try to solve problems. And, you know, at some point, you just, I mean, and I do, I'll just ask, you know, you get you get three minutes. They have to listen to you. But aren't you the school board? Aren't you here to fix the problem of the school <laughs> lunch and the math class that did, like you're here to fix problems. And that's the thing, empathy can never fix problems. Right. Because that's considered almost in violation of the standards of what um, what helping means.
0: You've said this before, you can't fix problems. You, you must, you're mandated to feel problems. Mm-hmm. Feel the yeah. problem, but don't actually, <clears throat> have you heard uh, Doug Wilson and like Joe Rigney, the sin of empathy?
1: Oh, I love, yeah, I love it. And I think they, they get, they get, um, they really get a bad rap because people aren't listening. They're not saying there's never a time to empathize. And I'm not saying there's never a time to empathize, but I'm just saying that's hardly the magic bullet.
0: They get a bad rap as they talk about the sin of empathy because people aren't willing to be empathetic with those who say empathy (laughs) is a sin. Isn't that ironic?
1: well but i think it is i think that if you reject the concept of sympathy you're rejecting christ you're yeah. you know you're rejecting <clears throat> right and, uh, and you they, know, the speak, they speak
0: highly of sympathy compassion to bear with uh, yeah. but but they distinguish that from empathy to suffer in i yes, think yes and that. also
1: yes exactly but ultimately jesus rescues the captives
0: right right
1: and and that requires something that isn't empathy mm
0: mm-hmm. mhm you're right. Yep. Yeah. It requires strength. Your feet are actually mm-hmm. firmly planted on the ground. You got right. a hand holding onto the tree as you exactly. put the other hand. Yeah. Jumping in the quicksand with the individual doesn't, uh, you can feel it, but you can't fix mm-hmm. it. So, um, and with that, I I like how you brought up, you know, so you're bringing up a reason you're saying, yes, you answered my question, you know, in general, is there a greater, you know, tendency for women to be deceived than men? And you answered the question by saying yes, but you also gave the why, you know, you said because of the way that God designed them, it's not, um, that women are unintelligent. It's not that women are stupid, but God designed women to be caring, to be feeling, to be empathetic, and in, in the right ways, and maybe sympathetic. Um, and so, like you know, I I think of you know, uh, well, when the the Russia Ukraine thing started, you know, um, you know, and now we've moved on to Israel and Palestine. But you know, uh, my, my how the time flies when we're trying to start World War Three. But um, you know, when it was still Ukraine and and Russia, and that was still the popular thing um i remember there were like certain uh you know celebrity women you know who were uh, one of them wrote a, a poem and read it you know of uh, if only i was putin's mother you know and i thought like and i thought well you know that i mean i like that i appreciate that in the sense that that makes sense like that is how um I, I think that is how mm-hmm. God has designed women to think, not their only capacity, but that is a central theme and focus. If, like, I bet Putin had a bad mom, you know, and, and so she that's the essence of the poem. He probably just had a bad mom. He needs a good mom. And I think that's all fine and dandy. Uh, I think it's better than fine and dandy. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, the, the the hand that rocks the cradle, you know, we need that hand. The problem, though, is when um, when that hand's not rocking the cradle... But when that person with that sentiment um, is a Supreme Court justice, you know, um, or when that person is a senator or when that person, and so then you know shifting gears of one more example, uh, Kentaji uh, Brown Jackson, oh, yeah. um, you know, soft on um, pedophiles, you know and and I and I remember you know thinking about that when you know, and thinking, well, yeah of course she is. like like her I think her 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 deepest it's you know, she's been designed by God to think, like I, I want, I want to. Uh, there's something wrong here. He, he needs love. He needs nurturing. He needs caring. Um, men are not that way. So men here, um, that that th- there's another man uh, who who has engaged in looking at you know pedophilic um, images, and for men uh, we say, uh, let's get some rope.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let's find a tree. <laughs> I- uh, you yes, know, and, and yes. I think that that I yes. think that's particularly helpful when it comes to the position of the civil rulers. That's yeah. not always the most helpful yeah. thing when it comes to the three-year-old. You know, on a Wednesday afternoon, right. she, like that little girl needs mom.
1: Right. Yes, but but also that's where the church comes in too, because I think that when our temptation as women is to is to is to really try to maybe empathize, maybe even psychologize this, find a find a reason that that. You know, we're just kind of fumbling around. That is a wonderful time to call the elders. Right. That is a terrific time to say, "I am getting really um, roped into something," and I kind of sort of think JL would just take a tent peg and you know rail it through the, the the head right now. But I'm really seeing this from the wrong point of view. I think I think that's part of also the way women are designed is that we are more likely to play around with point of view to just sort of say, well, if I see it, if I do this, if I do that, but that's when we need to call, you know, if we're, if we're married, we call our husband. If we're, um, we're single, we call the elders. We need some help in interpreting. And that's part of, that's a body issue.
0: Right. And to lay off the women and to, point the Mm. finger at the men for a moment. I've noticed that, um, if I'm honest, part of the reason I think we got into this problem is we've, we, you know, you talked about like, find, you know, the, the anomaly, um, and, and making that, you know, taking the footnote and making it the headline. Well, one thing that I think conservatives do politically, um, but then also the church is, um, Because there's been so much of this neo-Marxist thing going on, whether it's BLM, you know, and it's social justice or, you know, feminism or transgenderism, what conservative men have done and and even pastors is they found that minority, whether it be, you know, person of color or whether it be, you know, women, which I've never understood why that's a minority since there's literally more women than men. But, you know, either way, you know, you, you know what I'm saying, but they find that minority and they make them say it. So, 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 part of the reason when I say that women here's the irony when I say that in general, um, I think women have a greater propensity towards being deceived, and this is one of the reasons. It's not the only reason. There's the order of creation, but also the order of the fall is listed as a biblical example, and this is how people theologians understood, you know, the roles of, of patriarchy and and father rule, male headship, and not just in the church, but in you know, if we're looking at guys who you know. Lived before 1960, you know, most of them thought that this was in the civil realm and in the ecclesiastical realm and in you know the familial realm, and and they they understood this deception as a part a part of that piece. But when I make that argument today, the irony is that one of the major objections is to point immediately point to a woman, and ironically, a not not a flaming blue haired you know feminist woman, but a conservative woman. She's but she's on point, Joel. She's not deceived. Look at like she's every bit as conservative as you are. And she's been and and I think of that and I thank God for, for conservative okay. female voices. But I can't help but think, is it is it but is it because this is the greatest voice we have? Or is it because at some level, ironically, in a tragic sense of irony, conservative men who know that this is one of the major problems of of the hour. That they didn't have the courage to say it themselves. So they got a black person to say it for them. They got a female person to say it for them. They got, you know, and you've got these conservative guys who should be the shepherds, who should be fighting the wolves, but they don't actually fight the wolves. They actually just hold on to the pay the, the paychecks and and give it to uh their female warriors to fight the wolves because they'll get less pushback, I guess.
1: So I, I think, you know, part of it is that there's a there's a kind of um, oh, I don't know. Hirelings weren't meant to handle this moment. Mm. They, they just weren't. And, and maybe hireling sounds like a very mean name, but I, I mean it 100%. Um, in my denomination, pastors take vows. One of the vows, vow six, is to die for the doctrine uh, you know when you hear your husband taking that vow you realize that 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 includes you hmm. um, and I can't think of a, a hireling who runs a parachurch ministry who would even even take a whiff at that vow so I think you know this is a season right now where Satan is really shaking things up and right. the um, there's a particular way that the parachurches have set the tone and they've they've set the agenda and you know you can't you can't change the Overton window from inside of it. And so I'm I'm just wondering if, you know, and I'm kind of, I am sort of wondering if just they are being put out of business by just the, the, the heat right now. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying reminds me of something else. I remember speaking at a large, you know, event and it was, there are a lot of college students and somebody said, you know, what do you think about female pastors? And I said, oh, I think it's a sin. And there was like shock and awe and And there's like a lot of like, uh, you know, and I said, well, you know, don't y'all think that I kind of turned to my panel and, and there was a sense of, um, yes, we do think that Rosaria, but we don't say things out loud like that in public settings. And, um, I I don't, I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think by God's grace, at least for myself personally, being able to you know, it was hard and, and I didn't do everything right, but, but being able to relocate in 2020 okay. as some of these things were going and starting fresh with a new church. One of the things that I resolved to, um, being, getting rid of the winsome bug and, and speaking plainly, not speaking meanly, but just, uh, you don't have right. to be mean. You just have to be clear, clear, clear right. will do the trick. Uh, if you just speak clearly in this day and age, uh, you'll have plenty of people who think you're mean. Um, but, it, it does help like that That I you know actually started a new church. And one of the things that I resolved was I thought it'd be a lot easier if I just start this from the very beginning, yeah. you know, if just from the outset, um, because you, yeah. you know, there is a sense in which when, when you're changing, because a lot of these guys um, as we've moved, because the world has changed as, as we've moved to a negative world from neutral world um, it, you're right. It's it, this, this world was not meant for hirelings. And, uh, and it also wasn't meant for ambiguity, uh, ambiguity or, or no. vague language. It's, it it no. requires, you know, clarity. It requires courage. Um, but, but it is difficult when, um, when you actually have to change, when you haven't been that and you actually have right. to change that. And there's a lot of people who are upset and they're frustrated and, um, and they're they're partly right. They're wrong in the sense that if a, if a guy is he's reforming and he's he's repenting and he's actually moving closer towards Christ um, and not further away, then, then people are wrong to be upset with him. But they're right in the sense if they if they say something like, "Yeah, but but Joel, this isn't what I signed up for," so even if you're right about these changes, the church is making these changes. You're, you're making these changes to the style of your preaching and, and to your theology and these, and even if you're right about all of it. Um, I became a member of this church with a certain pretense, with a certain understanding. This is not the church that I joined, and and I've been in this church for seven years or twelve years, and I have friendships here and community. And you're ripping this away from me, and so it it really, you know, just speaking again for myself personally, it really was a grace to be able to start over, um, and and then decide from again from the outset. Um, I don't want to do that with people I don't want to do a bait and switch where you know gradually you know the right. you know we're heating up the temperature of right. courage and you know and and this and that and the other and so from the outset you know and, and through podcasting and recording the sermons online that, that from the outset you know there's 200 people that come to my church and there's you know a few hundred thousand that know not to. You know, like they, and they know right. that they like. Okay, that's a right. church that I would never want to go. And I would say, you know, again, it's ironic. They would say, "I'm glad he's not my pastor." And I, and I would say, um, you know, well, and that is actually, I think, loving on my part that I that I yeah. um, that I let you know preemptively uh, that you yeah that this would probably not be the church for you. I saved yeah. you. A lot of pastors, there is this bait and switch where right. they they believe one thing, but they like what you said, the example you gave. They won't say it. Publicly and people join their church for two years and make like friendship. And then I've heard countless testimonies of like, I went to this church for two years and then found out that they thought homosexuality was a sin.
1: Right. Kirsten powers. Yeah. 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 No, Uh, you know, uh, can I respond to some of that? Yeah. yeah, Yes. Please. Yeah. Um, What business do we have as evangelicals calling the world to repent and change? If we don't feel like we need to do that too, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't ever remember signing on the dotted line. I, I mean, I, I may, and maybe, and you know, and I'm, maybe, I, you know, I just didn't. I'm part of a very small denomination. Um, you know, our, our, one of our central doctrines is the mediatorial kingship of Christ, which personally I think that makes. Christian nationalism looked like child's play, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. Like we 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 came of age during something called the Killing Times. Mm. I, I mean, so I I know we're small and peculiar, but um, but isn't what is at the heart of evangelicalism is calling people to die to themselves right. and to re- to accept Christ and to take up that cross and to follow Him and to leave houses and mothers and fathers and to count all of that as less than your love for Jesus and yet we won't even just say it like it is because we might what I don't know lose donors Mm. I I mean I just it's easy for me to say I'm you know my secret weapon is I don't have a job Okay, so people who, who, you know, will send out these internet, you know, like sign here to get Rosaria fired and Kent Butterfield will look at that and say, uh, does this joker think, you know, somebody else is going to be homeschooling the kids and making right. the communion bread, and, you know? Right. So maybe it's easy for me to say, but I think it is something that all Christians should be willing to say. Yes, of course I'll lose my job for what is true. Of course mm. I will. Because the Lord will take care of me. Right. I, I, I can't deny Christ. Hmm. So anyway I mean, I do think that there's um there's a kind of inculcated cowardice that is hiding under the guise of um, you know being winsome and I, you know and I do right. I mean I like the old definition of winsome we're going to win some <laughs> for the gospel
0: right right yeah there's a lot of cowardice you're right well what uh, as we're coming to a close, um, maybe two questions what are what's maybe the the biggest Pushback that you got with this book? What did people hate the most, and then maybe what's the the best um, encouragement? What did people like the most?
1: Yeah, okay. I don't. I'm going to probably be very bad at answering both of those That's questions okay. because I don't keep up with myself. <laughs> so um, I, I am often the last to know what people hate or what they love, and um, I I am not on social media. I mean, I know I am on social media, but not. You know, I'm not a player on social media, so so there's that. Um, but from what my my husband tells me, who does you know do a bit of lurking around, from what my husband tells me, what people really don't like is the 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 fact that I am articulating the way the Bible anchors the gospel in creation, and the way the New Testament anchors the repentance of sin and even an understanding, a conceptualization of sin in something like the moral law of God. So Mm. that is offensive. That is, that is troubling. I mean, so troubling that even, you know, world magazine said, I think she's adding, adding to scripture when she says that women are called to be nurturing and men are called to be strong. And, Mm. you know, Oh, that's Genesis 127. That's not adding, but, but if you, you know, like, so that's, you know, I would say that would be the strongest opposition. And and I think that the strongest um, um, appreciation is uh, uh, from moms and grandmas who have prodigals, mm. who have been in weak, mealy-mouthed uh, evangelical churches, who have been told, let's— here's this, you know, here's this podcast by, you know, West Hill, or, you know, let's think about this in terms of revoice or, and, and, you know, what they really don't want is their child to die in their sin. Mm -hmm. And they're willing to sacrifice everything, but they have felt like the evangelical church is, is kind of, you know, cutting them off at the knees. And so I've heard from those moms and grandmas, faithful prayer warriors, that yes, I can hang on, I can hang on to my daughter, but I can, I can cling more strongly to Christ and that, that lying to my daughter won't help her know Jesus. Hmm. Um, And I need to remember that my daughter is a prayed for child and God's covenant is real. And those promises of the covenant are real, but I need to remain faithful. And so that would be the, I think the strongest accolade is just, the people who understand that my encouragement in wanting you to see how we got here and why we got here is so that you don't need to get a PhD in critical theory, because that would be dumb. Don't do that. Uh, You need to be sanctified in your ignorance as well as your knowledge, but we all need to help each other hang on to the promises of the Lord. And to that degree, we would do well to, prioritize our families and our churches.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Anyway, uh any I don't know, call to action or way that people can follow you or check out <laughs> other things that you're doing. It sounds like you're well, not on social media very much, but maybe you could reference some of your other books if you want them to read them.
1: Okay. Well I, I have a website, rosariabutterfield dot and I've written I've written a number of books and then often the new book is a correction of the old book. So mm. Uh, you know but uh you know my 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 coming to christ story was the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert okay. and um and then i've written i've written a book called uh, uh the gospel comes with a house key and that right. answers that question of how i came to christ basically in someone's living room and how my husband and i have used our house both when he was a church planter and now when we're just old um to provide a place where we can have very clear and very pointed gospel conversations, you know, Kent's theory is, you know, my hot dogs, uh, my conversation. So, mm-hmm. um, so that that's the gospel comes with a house key, and then five lies. I don't really write a lot. I'm a homeschool mom. I'm a teacher. I uh, about every six years or so, I get the bug to write a book. Um, right now, I have a the bug to start a Christian school in a classical right. Christian school in Durham. That's kind of my next thing. So awesome.
0: Don't, yeah, we're, we're working on us. the same thing here in Georgetown. Our our goal Oh, really? Goal okay. Well, we can we yeah. can compare notes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. St. George Academy is you know St. George Classical is our, our goal for 2024. Oh, I love so it. We'll see. But All right. Slaying dragons. So, well, thank right. you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Pastor Joel. Lord bless you.
0: You too.